John chapter 11, verse 25. I don't know that it's really appropriate to say that one verse of the Bible is more important than any other verse, but this is certainly a central verse, a key verse, a glorious verse, a life-giving verse. John 11, verse 25. Hear God's word. Jesus said to her, that is Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? God bless the reading and hearing of his word. A number of years ago, I was trying to illustrate faith to the uh, Awanas group. It was a much smaller Awanas group back then. Our son Levi was seven years old, and I wanted him to help me demonstrate to the other children what faith is. So I, I invited him up, and I set a chair right beside me, one of those folding uh, metal chairs, and I had him stand on the chair. And I, uh, I uh, wanted to talk about what true faith isn't and what it is. So I asked Levi, I said, Levi, do you believe that I can catch you? He said, yes. And I asked the other children, uh, now is this saving faith? And they all had learned enough at that point to say, no, that's not saving faith. And they're right. Uh, neither is believing that Jesus can catch you, that Jesus can save you. That's not saving faith. Levi, I said, do you think it would be good to demonstrate your trust in me by falling into my arms? Do you think that would be a good thing to do? Yes. Children, is that saving faith? No. They were right. Neither is it saving faith to simply believe that it would be good to trust Jesus for your salvation. It's not yet saving faith. And in order to demonstrate what saving faith is, I said, now, Levi, fall into my arms. And he whispered in my ear, what if I fall on the floor? <laughs> and I answered back in his ear, I promise I'll catch you. And then with confidence, he fell back into my arms. And thanks be to God, I did catch him. That's saving faith. It is, it is actually falling into the arms of Jesus, actually trusting in him in a purposeful, conscious way. Now, all of, all of us here this morning are somewhere on that spectrum as it relates to faith. Some, some of you believe that Jesus can save, and that's good. But that alone is not saving faith. Some of you believe that, that it would be good to trust Jesus. And aren't those people who trust him, uh, I mean, God be with them, isn't that wonderful? Uh, but that believing that it would be good is not saving faith. Some of you are actually trusting in him, relying on him to catch you. But even in that last category of true saving faith, and it is saving faith, 
we're at different places in regard to actually trusting him in the various circumstances of our lives. Uh, trials come along, and we are tested as to our faith. And some of us are, are, some of us are very confident, and we fall back freely and easily. Some of us are like, Are sort of like that, you know. I'm, I want to trust, but I'm not sure. And some of us are like, I, I'm, I can't trust him with this. In this passage, Martha, Martha's kind of like, like this, you know. And Jesus is, is drawing her deeper in. Jesus is speaking in a way to give her a kind of confidence that enables her to wholly lean on him to wholly trust in him. And our prayer this morning is that Jesus will give you the confidence, whatever place in relation to faith that you're in, whether it's, whether it's I think he can, but I'm not ready yet, or I think it would be good, but I don't want to yet, or I'm trusting him, but not with, with this yet. Whatever place you're in, that Jesus' words here will give you the confidence to keep on to give up, to rest on Him. Well, it's only weeks before Jesus' death here in John chapter 11. It's, it's early spring. Uh, the, the buds on the olive trees and the fig trees are coming out. The, the birds are singing like they are here. Winter's over, finally. There's new life in the air. But not for Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Friends of Jesus. Uh, Jesus, uh, it's, it's, it says, word comes to Jesus that Lazarus is sick. He is sick unto death. And the family and friends of Lazarus are being called in. You know uh, how that goes. It's time to call, call the family. And so Jesus himself, about whom it said, the one whom you love, is sick, Jesus himself is called. But rather than rushing to Lazarus' side and maybe healing him as his sisters had hoped, they'd seen it before, maybe healing him as his sisters hoped, Jesus, it says in verse 6, stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now I want to just make a couple of notes here. First of all, G Jesus, we learn here, is not compelled by our anxieties or bound by our time limits and priorities. Every, everyone in this story, Mary, Martha, those who are watching, standing by, everyone in this story is assuming that death would have the last word. That if if Jesus doesn't come before death, it's too late. Martha says in verse 21, If you had been here, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Well, but now obviously it's too late. Mary in verse 32, uh, Martha's sister says, Again, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But now obviously... Uh, implied it's too late. The Jews, in verse 37, 
says, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man, referring back to chapter 9, could not he also have kept this man from dying? Obviously now it's too late. In other words, death is the limit, and if there's going to be a miracle, it must happen before death. But Jesus delays, not because he doesn't care. There's an emphasis throughout this chapter on his love for Lazarus and his sisters. Uh, It's mentioned several times, but because he delays, because he would have us know him not merely as the one who can prevent dying, but as the one who raises the dead. And that's especially important in the days to come in this book as Jesus himself goes into the ground. And Jesus also wants us to see by his waiting and allowing Lazarus to die, he wants us to see that beholding the glory of God in resurrection is far better than avoiding physical death. There's something better than avoiding physical death. His love for us, in other words, reaches beyond the grave to something far greater, and that something far greater is knowing Him for who He really is. So then, after Lazarus dies, Jesus says, let's go. And four days later, they show up. Martha hears that He's coming, and she runs out to meet Him. And so let's pick up the story of verse 20. If you're following along in your Bibles, Uh, John 11, verse 20. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. You know, Martha's always the active one, isn't she? Uh, We don't know if Mary hadn't yet heard that he's here or if she was just so discouraged and despondent that she couldn't bring herself to go. But Martha goes out to meet Jesus. Mary remains seated in the house. Verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Now probably Martha is not saying in verse 22, I know whatever you ask from God, God will give you, that I know you're going to raise him from the dead, aren't you, Jesus? And I know he's going to answer. Probably she's not saying that. She She hasn't come to that point in her faith yet of understanding that. Probably she's simply saying, even though you didn't come in time, I still believe that you are a holy man. You're still sent from God. I'm still going to trust you, even though. Jesus says to her, verse 23, your brother will rise again. Uh, Martha says, verse 24, to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection. On the last day. That's why I don't think she's saying, I know you're going to raise him now, Jesus. She's saying, I know that he will rise again on the last day. Martha, still, even though disappointed, adheres to conservative Orthodox Jewish teaching. She could recite the Apostles' Creed if it had yet been written, which it hadn't, and wasn't written by the Apostles. But the Apostles' Creed said, I believe in the resurrection of the body. And And Martha believed that. She was a... Faithful, believing Jew. But Jesus doesn't want Martha, and Jesus doesn't want 
you merely to believe in statements of truth. He wants you to believe in him who is truth. You can know all the right things and have all the right views and still not know Jesus personally for who he is. True life is not defined by what you know, but by whom you know. It's relational ultimately, not doctrinal only. So Jesus Jesus doesn't respond, whoever believes in the resurrection, even though he dies, yet shall he live. What does he say? I am the resurrection life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, he shall live. Pharisees believed in the resurrection, but they don't have life. Demons believe in the resurrection, and they will not live. And the question this morning for you that I want to ask is this. Do you believe only the truth about Jesus, but not trust yet in Jesus? You must believe truth. You can't can't deny the resurrection and have life. You can't deny that. But believing that there will be a resurrection is not sufficient to give you life. You must trust in him who is truth. In order to have life. In baptism this morning, we, we have folks confess the truth. We ask them truth questions and they responded, I believe in that. But we're also asking them to share their story so that you can get a sense that they not only n- know about him, but they've had some experience with him. That they're trusting in a person, not only in a creed. Now, what does Jesus say then to draw Martha closer, draw her beyond her truth statement to a true faith in him? What he says is verse 25. I am the resurrection and the life. And that's what I want to focus on uh, in the next few minutes. Those, there's three parts to this sentence. I am the resurrection and the life. And those all three parts are really important. First of all, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And when he says, I am, there is a history to that. And those who who have read through John's gospel at least once recognize that when Jesus says, I am anything, he's saying something very significant. In fact, there there are seven times in John's gospel where Jesus says, I am something. And he says it emphatically. He He uses, I am uh, It's written in the Greek language in such a way as to emphasize those two words, I am. He says in chapter 6, verse 35, I am the bread of life. In 8, 12, he says, I am the light of the world. In 10, 9, he says, I am the door. In 10, 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. In 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In 15, verse 5, he says, I am the vine. And here in 11, 25, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Well, what is the significance of that phrase, I am? Well, that reaches all the way back in the Old Testament history that the Jews are very familiar with, and most of you are familiar with, but some of you may not be. All the way back in Old Testament history to where Moses meets with God at a burning bush, a bush that burned, that was, that was not consumed. And God met with him and spoke to him out of that bush. And God says, um, When Moses asked him, who shall I say sent me, that is, sent me to my brothers in bondage in Egypt, 
uh, and to Pharaoh to tell him to deliver uh, God's people from Egypt. Who shall I say sent me? And God answers, I am who I am. Uh, the word is Yahweh, sometimes translated Jehovah. Uh, it means I am. It implies that he is independent for existence. He doesn't depend on anyone who exists. It, it implies that. It, it implies that he doesn't change. He's not I am becoming. He is the I am. Uh, it imp uh, but, but primarily it implies that he is, the, he is the personal God who promised blessing to his people from Abraham, and he is here. I am with you. I am present to save you. I've not ceased to exist. I've not forgotten. I am. So when Jesus comes along and says, I am, he's profoundly saying, I am the very God who called and blessed and promised Abraham to bless his children. I am the very God who called Moses out of, uh, uh, I am the very God who called Moses and sent him to my people uh, from the burning bush, I am the very God who delivered my people out of bondage into the promised land, and I am the very God who is now here to save you. Listen, he is I am this morning. He's not I was. He is still I am. He is the ever-present I am. And he is here for you to call upon him here to save all who do. He makes that even more clear, uh, this I am, the, the significance of I am even more clear in chapter 8, verse 58, when he says, before Abraham was, I am. Listen, after Abraham was, he still is. He still is today. And what he's saying to Martha what he's saying to us is this. As you face death in all of its various forms, whether it's a death of dreams, whether it's a death of relationships, whether it's a death of your youth, whether it's a de uh, the death of your parents, the death of your children, the death of your spouses, the death of siblings, the death of health, the death even of your own life. And as you struggle with the disappointment Jesus is saying that I didn't come to stop that death. There's a disappointment there, isn't there? You grieve when he doesn't come in time, according to your time. As you struggle with that, because I didn't come in time to stop that death, know this, that I am not the one who has to constantly stay one step ahead of death. I am the one who overturns death, and I am present to save. I am. Death is not the end. Death is no obstacle to me. The one who eternally is, is not afraid of death. He's the God of the living, not of the dead, and he doesn't die. God is not like a, a parent. You know, you know how uh, we are as parents when our, when our children just start to walk, and they're little toddlers, and they just start to take their first steps, and, and oftentimes, you know, they, they're standing, and we we kind of come along behind them, you know, like we're going to catch them if they fall, as, as though if they fall, they're really going to hurt themselves. And I, I don't know if, if toddlers ever think this or not, uh, but, oh, no, if I fall, I'm going to die. 
Although sometimes they cry like they're going to die when they do fall, but they seem to keep getting back up and trying again. They don't really have very far to fall, do they? But, but parents, you know, we're, we're, we're standing behind them. God is not terrified of the toddler's fall. He's not terrified of your fall. He's not terrified of Lazarus' fall into the grave. He's not, he's not scared. Why? Because he is, a, he is there. He will, pick, he will pick you up, and he will set your feet on solid ground. And even on the last day, when the trumpet sounds and the voice of the archangel is heard, he will come, and he will pick you up. Death is no obstacle to him. The death of your dreams is no obstacle to him. The death of, the death of your hopes, of your children, no obstacle. Jesus is saying, I am, so fear not. And then he goes on to say, I am the resurrection. Now, wh- what does he mean by that? First of all, he means I have the authority and the power to raise the dead. The Father has given me that authority. As the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. The hour is coming when all who are in the tomb will hear his voice and come out. I have the authority, and he's also saying that the promise of resurrection comes through a relationship of trust in me. I am the resurrection, he says. It's it's not that Jesus agrees to raise you from the dead if you meet certain criteria, like, okay, uh, you've come to me, you're trusting me, okay, now I'm going to give you something called resurrection that's over here. And give that to you. No, he says, well, once you trust in me, you have resurrection. Jesus isn't a banker who, when you come and make an application for a loan, uh, he, he uh, looks at the paperwork and says, okay, you're worthy, and now I'll go get you a loan. Jesus says, I am the money. I'm the banker, and I am the money. When you have me, you have resurrection life. If you're attached to him, that life is already yours right now. That future resurrection life is already yours right now. That's what the new birth, as we call it, is all about. You know, when a a branch is connected to a tree trunk, we don't say, well, it has received sap in it now because it bore fruit or met some other condition. We say it has sap in it now because it's united to the trunk. It can't help but have sap in it. And so Jesus says resurrection life is yours only because and only if you're united to me through faith. You have resurrection if you have me because I am the resurrection. And then he says, finally, I am the life. Now, what's what's different between saying I am the resurrection and I am the life? Well, the only difference there is focus. It's the same picture, but it's a different focus. You know, you can take, you can point your camera at a scene, and if you focus it at one link, you see clearly one thing, and if you focus it at another link, you twist the lens, you can focus on something uh, nearer, right? So you can focus on different things, and it's the same picture, and it is the same picture, but Jesus is focusing on two aspects of that picture, the resurrection and the life. When he speaks of resurrection, I am the resurrection, the focus is on the outer material person and the future 
and, and verse 25 explains it. When he says, I am the resurrection and the life, he's explaining what he means by I am the resurrection with the next phrase. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. So he's focusing on a future experience of death and then something that comes beyond death for believers, he shall live. So the, when he focuses on resurrection, he's focusing on the future, and he's focusing on the bodily resurrection like unto Christ's own resurrection. You will die physically unless the Lord comes first. You will die physically. But beyond that is the promise of resurrection for all who are in, united to Jesus. There's a guarantee of it because Jesus already has been raised for you. And if you're united to him, you can't help but rise again. If Christ rises, you rise. That's what it means to be united to him. So when he says, I am the resurrection, he's pointing future and material. When he says, I am the life, He's focusing now on the inner person and the present, and he explains that in verse 26. Everyone who lives now and believes in me now shall never die. Then wait a minute, he just says, he, though he die, yet shall he live. And he says, you'll never die. Well, what he's focusing, he's, he's changing the focus on the camera. He's looking now at the inward life, for believers, and he's saying, for you there is no death at all. You know, the Bible uses death in a couple of different ways. Uh, the, the, the Bible speaks of death as the separation of the body from the soul. That's death. That's going to happen. For those who believe in him, there will be resurrection of the body. But it also speaks of death as separation from God, as the person's separation from God. And he's saying, if you, if you believe in me, guess what? There will never be death in that sense. Why? Because I already died in your place. My death guarantees your future resurrection if you're in me, but my life also comes to you if you're in me. My relationship with the Father, my oneness with the Father is now yours. You and me, I and him, him and you, all, we're all uh, in this, in this un union, unmixable, unscrambleable, Union with him through faith, and that never ends because I already took the separation on the cross for you. That's what the cross is all about. When Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, that's the only time he doesn't refer to God as father. And his father did forsake him. He didn't, then you, you have trouble, and I have trouble, because he was forsaken for us. That's what we deserve. He bore the curse for us in order that we not bear that curse, so that whoever lives, whoever believes in me, whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. That's the life, the life that he has purchased for us and the life that he gives to us inwardly and outwardly in the future. Inwardly now, outwardly in the future. Inwardly forever, outwardly forever after death. The 
whole enchilada, in other words, of life is ours when we take Jesus because the resurrection and the life is in him. The question that he leaves us with is at the end of verse 26. And the question I leave you with is this. Do you believe this? And I don't mean just do you believe it as a truth statement. And he doesn't mean do you believe it as a truth statement that somebody else might do well to believe in, but you don't rely on it. Will you rely on me? That's what he's saying. Martha's, Martha answers, she says to him, verse 27, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. You'll notice Martha doesn't say, Yes, Lord, I believe, and then gives some statements of uh, some theological maxims to be subscribed to. Martha is making a statement about Jesus himself. I believe that you are. That's what he's calling us to. And her, this is her personal embrace of him as the Christ, the Son of God. Dr. J.I. Packer, he's a theologian and author, once said, Faith is forsaking all I take him. He uses it as an acronym, F-A-I-T-H, forsaking all I take him. Martha, do you take me forsaking all I? That's what he's asking us. Do you take me? Are you ready to fall into his arms? Are you willing even this morning in the, in the painful trials you face right now, will you fall on him so that it makes a difference how you respond? If courage is required, then courage for his sake. If repentance is required, then repentance for his sake. If backing off is required, then backing off for his sake. If moving forward is required, moving forward for his sake. If forgiveness is required, then forgiveness for his sake. If letting go is required, letting go for his sake. Why? Because you will not die. You're not going to die. Because Christ is the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? If you trust in him today, what will it mean for you? It won't mean death. It'll mean life. Eternal life. Life now. Life to come. Do you believe this? And as we pray, would you respond with Martha? Yes, Lord, I believe. Let's pray. Lord, grant us, everyone, the power, the confidence, because of your statement, because of, of your statement, Lord Jesus, of who you are, grant us the confidence to forsake all and take you, to fall into your arms, to trust you. If we're, if we're already trusting you to some degree, to trust you still more. If we're already trusting you for eternal life, 
to trust you for life now, to trust you in the midst of our circumstances now, if we're not trusting, if we're not trusting you, if someone's here not trusting in your work on the cross for them to bear the wrath of God against them. Father, right now, Lord Jesus, right now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, grant your resurrection life to flow into those broken branches. Resurrect your people. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.